Thank you to our musicians. All right, well, he has risen. Um, and uh, it's, so, so, what, what is it? Is this cutting in and out? Yeah. Okay. All right. I've touched it, no. It's this cord, I've realized. Okay. All right. I have placed my healing hands upon it. And um, so far it's working. Okay. Uh, what, what we want to do to uh, start today is, um, for those who weren't here on Good Friday, I want to start there, start and um, build into the Easter Sunday narrative from there. So um, we, if you were here on uh, Good Friday, we're just going to have a quick walk through um, where, where, we, where we went on Good Friday, talking about Jesus' death on the cross, and that will build into... Um, where we want to finish this morning. And um, we started Good Friday by talking about um, the moment, the moment in when Jesus is being arrested and, and Peter, we learn in the Gospel of John, um, Peter draws his sword to protect Jesus, which is exactly what soldiers do to protect their king. Jesus is Peter's king. And so someone attacks his king and so he draws his sword and defends his king. Except this king's a bit different because this king tells him off. What are you doing? Don't do that. And, and, and this king heals the guy that was struck with the sword. And, um, and, and he tells off the disciple, we're not doing that. And um, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and he healed him. And, um, and so there's something symbolic in that though, isn't it? Because Jesus' ministry is one where he didn't pick up the sword. He didn't, he didn't win his kingdom that way. He didn't, he didn't make people follow him in that way. Um, and we know that Jesus, you know, he came to earth to serve. He made himself last. He didn't elevate himself at others' expense. So, yes, he didn't literally have an armor. Yes, he didn't literally pick up a sword. But also the way he, 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 he appealed to people with love. He let people walk away if they wanted to. He led in a different way. And it involved rejecting the way of the sword. No biting back, no trickery, no manipulation, no violence, just love. Going around loving, telling people the truth in love, healing people in love, and inviting people on the basis of love to follow him and letting people walk away if they wanted to. That doesn't seem like a good strategy to win the world. That's not how it works. Surely it would be better... I mean, remember, it tells us in the Gospels that when he's being arrested, he could call on legions of angels. He could have conquered everyone. He could have said, well, stuff this, bring on the, bring on the firing chariots, let's just crush everyone. But Jesus rejected that way. And that's because Jesus is the Son of God. And if he is the Son of God, that means he's in the perfect image of the Father. And the Father is not like that. That's not how the Father operates. And for him to be a true image of the Father, it involves him not reaching for the sword. It involves him not elevating himself at the expense of others. Of course, that's not what we did. The Adam and Eve narrative, you know, which is talking about us humans, we were designed in the image of God too. We were made to be sons and daughters of God. We were made to image the Father perfectly. We were made also to not be people of the sword. We were made to be like Jesus, you know, living in perfect harmony, reflecting the Father's heart into the world. But we rejected that. 
We decided to be our own kings, to start a new kingdom, a new way, where it's all about us and what we want. And we know that the moment Adam and Eve did that, they started doing things that they'd never done before. They started blaming. They started judging. We know their sons were the first to kill. Cain killed Abel, the first murder. And since that moment, we can't get above grasping for what we want at the expense of others, the way of the sword. It's whenever you push your agenda over others out of insecurity or pride. It's whenever you gossip to either harm someone or just be interesting to others. That's elevating yourself at the expense of others. It's whenever you move out of fear, rage, revenge, even injustice, and you think the answer is to harm someone else. And you think the answer is to elevate your own needs so that, uh, and, and dismiss others and crush others and ignore God. Jesus called people back to a higher way, a way of forgiveness, a way of turning the other cheek, a way of loving our enemies. It's a high calling. But, you know, whenever we do it and whenever you do it, you are acting in the image of God. Whenever you live like that, whenever you live selflessly with forgiveness, with love, with graciousness, with mercy, with faith, hope and love as your guide, whenever you do that, you are imaging the Father. You are living out your image. You're, you're imaging, you are made in the image of God. But the problem is we do that sometimes, but sometimes when pressure is applied, we reach for the sword. We reach for the sword to protect ourselves, to preserve ourselves, and to harm others. Jesus was not like that. He was tempted in every way, just as we are, but he did not sin. He did not falter. And in the Passion narrative, there are so many people lifting the sword against him. The disciples elevated their own needs when they betrayed him and left him alone. Judas certainly did that when he wanted his own type of Messiah. He betrayed him. He elevated himself at the expense of Jesus. When he was arrested and he was violently being treated, he could, have, he could have reached for the sword, but he didn't. When they mocked him as a criminal, when they released a criminal in his stead, when they mocked him on the cross, he was surrounded by people doing violence to him, but he did not do violence back. He never lifted the sword. And that is why, friends, he is sinless. He is different. He is not like us. To the very end, he put himself last. He submitted to the Father and submitted to the mission out of love for us. And that's why we say he was crushed for us. He, by his wounds we are healed. Isaiah, Isaiah 53, 6, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, and each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so here we are at Easter Sunday. And the good news is, because he rose again, because he rose again, all those things he lived for, all that way he lived perfectly imaging the Father, it means that is actually the future kingdom that we live for now. This world where people raise the sword against each other and ignore God and rebel and hurt each other, this is not the final story because Jesus rose again. He showed there is a kingdom coming where he will be the king and his ways will rule, his ways of love, his ways of mercy, his ways of grace. Here we are, Easter Sunday. He invites people to return to the Father. 
Reject a kingdom where humans elevate themselves over each other and over God and re-embrace our purpose, which was to live in the image of God, to live in His ways. I want to talk about um, three people in the, in the narrative that was read by uh, Lucas, Noah and Sophie. Let's talk, about, let's talk about these people. Let's talk about... Um, let's, first of all, let's talk about Peter. Peter, you know, runs to the tomb and he sees that Jesus isn't there, and he's obviously distraught and confused. But imagine Peter when he finds out Jesus is alive. What was one of his last acts? He lifted up the sword. He did the very opposite of his master's values as one of his last acts. Fled from his master, even though he was the last one to hold on. He actually was the most faithful disciple in the narrative, actually, even though he was confused and didn't realize Jesus didn't want him to raise swords and all the Peter was all passion um, but imagine that that he thought his last moments with his Messiah were letting him down being rebuked by him for not behaving in the way that he should deserting him in his hour of need and yet Jesus rises again and invites him to follow invites and offers him his forgiveness what a wonderful thing that those those moments haven't defined him but he goes on to follow Jesus with all of his heart let's talk about Mary Magdalene Mary Magdalene was someone who we know from 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 the scriptures had a really checkered past whatever it means we know that it says in the gospels that she had to have seven demons expelled from her this is someone who the world has harmed and she has harmed others it, it was, it's quite likely people had used her and perhaps out of that harm she had been a hardened person who hurt others. But Jesus healed her and because of Easter Sunday, she doesn't have to live that way anymore. Her narrative is really, really important. I just want to read from it here. Um, you know, when, when you know the, the narrative here is Jesus, she... Um, hold on, I've just got to find it. I've, I realise some of this hasn't saved over the way I thought it should... But um, if you look at the narrative there in John chapter 20, that, you know, Jesus, she realizes it's Jesus and she clings to him. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. So this, this woman who... This world, with all its me-first values, had scarred, and maybe she had been one who scarred others, who had been invited to follow Jesus. Um, there's so much in this little exchange here on Easter Sunday. Notice that Jesus said to her, this is so powerful. I, I, I don't think I realized how powerful this was till later in life. I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to your God, to my God and your God. She's actually referring to Mary as a sister. Our Father. In other words, she has traded that identity of this woman scarred by the world, this woman who had seven demons in her, and now Jesus is very directly saying to her, you are a daughter of the Father. You are a daughter of the Father. You know, this is, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So straight away her identity is one. She is now a daughter of God. She is in a new type of kingdom where we worship Jesus together and image the Father together. But also, 
what's cool about Mary, and, and, and it's not made enough deal about enough, is that she's the, in one sense, she's the first apostle. She is an apostle to the apostles. She is the one Jesus entrusts. This woman, um, scorned by society, this woman is the one entrusted to go be the bearer of the good news that Jesus is alive to the apostles. That's really cool, isn't it? So not only is she trading her identity to be a daughter of the Father, but she is trusted to be an apostle to the apostles, to tell them that Jesus has risen. And the third one in the narrative is Thomas. And we have some Thomases in our congregation, the people that are drawn to the cynic cynicism. The disappointments of a broken world full of people putting themselves turn you into cynics, turn you into ones who are slow to hope, turn you into ones who, who struggle to believe good news is good. Thomas, I'm not going to believe it. I'm not, no, I've been disappointed before. He ended up dead on the cross after all that hope. Guys, unless I see him in the flesh, unless Jesus stands in front of me and says, here's my scars, I'm not believing him. He's a cynic. Absolute cynic. We have cynics, you know, people who are bent that way. And Jesus appears to him. And we know what happens. He drops on his knees and says, my Lord and my God. See, even for the cynics, there's hope now. Because no matter how hard this world is and how much it drives us towards cynicism and how come and sometimes how hopeless it seems and how it seems violence is winning and greed is winning and sin is winning, because Jesus has risen from the dead, even the cynic can look at the risen Jesus and say, but this is not the end of the story. This is not the kingdom that wins out in the end. The kingdom that wins out in the end is risen, is the king of that kingdom is this risen Jesus. That's what we get to live for. We get to live for. For the Mary Magdalene's of this world, for the doubting Thomases of this world, for the, for the passionate Peters who make mistakes and charge into things and have to learn their lessons. For all of us, there's hope. There's hope. We're all, we're all burnt by this world and we've all burnt others in this world, in this kingdom where we lift ourselves up where we're sinners, where we raise ourselves at the expense of others. But because of Jesus, because of Easter Sunday, we don't have to live for that anymore. And so as I, as I talk to you this morning, I hope you know, I hope that when you hear that message, you realize once again afresh that we need his forgiveness, don't we? We are, people, we are people who are scarred by this world and it has polluted us and we do need his forgiveness and we have been guilty of ignoring God and hurting each other and living for ourselves. But the message is that's not our identity. That's not the end of the story. Jesus never lifted the sword, died in your place, and because of that you can have a new identity as sons and daughters of the Father. And you can live for a new kingdom. Whenever you are discouraged by this world, whenever you are discouraged by the meanness, the cruelty of it, you can actually look ahead and say, but this isn't the end of the story. All this stuff that I'm feeling, all this violence in the world, it's actually all fading in the way. It's all had its last say. But the king is coming and he is the one who forgave. And he is the one who loved his enemies. And he is the one who raises the humble to places of honour. And my friends, I would rather live for that coming kingdom. I would rather not compete for status and worth 
in a world of people elevating themselves over others. I would rather not strive for that. I hope you're with me. Wouldn't you rather receive the forgiveness of Jesus and live for the kingdom of the meek, the humble, those who put others first, those who forgive? I would rather live for that kingdom. And I know that I'm with my brothers and sisters who would rather live for that kingdom. That's why we're here on Sundays, to encourage each other to live for that kingdom, to hold on, to not let the cynicism, for the doubting Thomases among us, you're here on Sunday, don't let the cynicism take hold of you. It's all right, Jesus is coming back. For the Mary Magdalene's who have been damaged and scarred brutally by this world, he is coming back. This is not the end of the story. And for the Peters who are passionate and well-meaning but make way too many mistakes and end up making a fool of themselves. It's not the end of the story. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And so um, that's why we have uh, the offering. uh, Sorry, that's why we have communion. And we haven't been able to do communion for so long. But Jesus gave us communion to help us remember our identity, to help us remember that we are people of sacrifice and love. And because he sacrificed himself for us and we get to live that image out into the world. And these are symbols that draw us back to that, to remember his death on the cross. So I'm just going to pray. um, And then I'm going to just play some music and you can come. Um, Meg has thoughtfully put croutons so that we're not all grabbing and tearing the same piece of bread. You know, that's our little COVID saves measure. So, um, but I'm going to play a song and and then if you'd like to come up and take a on in a cup and take it back to your seat. Uh, We'll eat and drink together at the end of the song.